Well, good morning, college, staff, students and faculty. It's great to be with you as even distantly we're together to think God's thoughts after him. And I wonder if there's a word that captures your emotional disposition. Now, I know that at the moment our emotional states fluctuate wildly. They're almost in untamed ways and it depends on the latest numbers that are announced at 11 o'clock in the morning or how the kids are behaving or whether you're hungry or tired or worried. I'm not talking about that immediate emotional response, but a settled way of being so that others say she is a woman of or he is a man marked by. Is there something that people say about you like that? And in fact, is there something that should be the regular answer of what marks us at Moore College or should mark, in fact, every Christian person? And if there is such a disposition as that, is it easy to adopt and what gets in the way of living this sort of disposition? That's what I want to explore with you today. So we'll start just with uh, the passage that Leanne read to us from Isaiah 51. Did you have a response when that chapter was read to us, what was your response to those words? Because here is the nation under the cold wind of the judgment of God. Their gorgeous God-given capital city about to be turned to charcoal and God will come against his own people and they'll be cast into disarray and even the closest to family relationships will be destroyed and the people will be brought into slavery in a foreign land and into that hopeless, bleak, black quagmire, God speaks. And so verse 11 of chapter 51 to remind you, those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return and they will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy, sorrow and mourning will disappear and they'll be filled with joy and gladness. What a great experience it would be for them. It's not that it's theirs yet, but it's a promise, a promise from God. It's like an unopened flower bud, but it's enough to bring joy, the hope of their expectations. And as I read that chapter, it reminded me of the 1980s scripture in Song Song, and except for those of us that have got grey hair and are wrinkled, the rest of you think this song is going to be cringeworthy, but it actually does capture the feel of the joy that the people should have had. Listen to a bit of it. I told you it was cringeworthy, although I can see a few faces and they're bouncing around and singing along to it. But I am the one that teaches that this bud, which is spoken of in Isaiah 51, has actually bloomed and flowered into the most magnificent colour and there are yet more and bigger blooms to come. But that disposition 
of unspeakable joy actually isn't mine, as Isaiah 51 is written. So I ask myself, and I'm asking you, uh, knowing this God who makes promises, who makes promises that are such a blessing, promises that he always fulfills with yet more to come, why is my disposition not more of joy? And as I think about it for me, I think there are lots of valid reasons that cause my joy to be muffled. COVID, the fears, the boxed-in feeling that we all experience, the busyness of life that invades even our hearing of Isaiah 51, the pressures that are all around me that swamp me. But it could also be that I don't see the difference that having the blessing of God, the difference that that makes, that is not knowing what you are missing out on if you don't have God. On Friday, those of us that were in chapel heard Simon Manchester preach and he gave one of those famous Malcolm Muggeridge's quotes. And that quote was, the, the only ultimate disaster that can befall us is to feel ourselves at home on this earth. That is, comfort here causes you not to look beyond where you are standing now. I was in Perth a few years ago, certainly it hasn't been possible in the last 18 months, and the principal of Trinity Theological College took me for a drive up that beautiful coast, and as we watched the sun set over Cottesloe Beach, he said, this is why it's so hard to evangelise here. People think they have it all. They're experiencing heaven on earth, and so they don't need anything else. And I am sure that's actually true in Sydney. I think we are not immune from that because without wanting it or without even knowing it, I think for believers, Christianity adds a bit to our lives now rather than that Jesus is everything to our lives. And we actually see that beautifully displayed in this little, little paragraph that we're going to look at today. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. And so I've been working my way through 1 Corinthians 6 over the last couple of weeks. But this paragraph, I think, is worth memorising because life does not get better than this. Let me read to you verses 9 to 11. Don't you realise that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who, are, who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the king of, kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you've been cleansed. You've been made holy. You've been made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. But let's have a look at those couple of sentences ever so briefly. Last Tuesday, if you're in chapel, we looked at the way that the Corinthians chose secular judges to judge between Christians and Christian brothers because they thought, the Corinthians thought, that these judges were wiser. And Paul responds by saying, Christians will judge angels and we will judge the world. And so if that's the case, there's plenty of wisdom in the church to go around. Why would you look elsewhere 
Now, don't get me wrong. There are times because of our sinfulness, the sinfulness of people in church, that it's entirely appropriate and necessary to seek other judges. But if the desire springs from or leads to us thinking that we're going to use them because there's really no difference between Christians and non-Christians, that's disastrous. And Paul says it's shameful. And here in this paragraph is another way for Christians to get it wrong. It stems from the same problem uh, as the judging problem, that you don't get the difference that being a Christian makes. And that's where he starts in verse 9. Don't you realise that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? So don't fool yourself. Paul is clear. The unrighteous, that is those who continue to do wrong, will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is no benefit, no blessing, no hope beyond the grave. The unrighteous at their funerals have not gone to a better place, despite whatever he said from the lectern. And just to clarify those strong words from the apostle here, those who do wrong are not people that have a momentary lapse into wrong action. It is those whose habit of life can be summed up by doing wrong. And so you see it repeatedly as the normal part of the way they act. And such people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we must say, along with the apostle, that those who continue in wrongdoing will not inherit the kingdom. And we must say it loudly and clearly because you can fool yourself into thinking that they will be okay. Because this is something that we can all be deceived in. I can be fooled into thinking, this judgment won't happen. And I can be fooled and lulled into it because that's actually what I want. And I want it for many reasons. I and probably you have family in this category. I don't want it to be true of them that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if this is true, then my sharing of the news of Jesus really is important and it profoundly matters. And because it profoundly matters, it shapes the way I'm going to relate to other people and it will make relationships complicated and challenging. And sometimes, who are we to judge? Certainly judging other people isn't permitted in this judgment-free world unless you're one of the thought leaders who tells us to pass judgment and to never forgive. Or another reason is, I think that despite what is clearly said here, God must have a cunning plan B. And so we'll get out of the problem some way. These thoughts are deep down and they are never expressed, but it is so easy to be fooled. And so who is it then? that fills the category of those who continue to do wrong. Well, it can't be everyone who does wrong because that does capture everyone and therefore no one will inherit the kingdom of God. So who inhabits this category of wrongdoers? Well, everyone agrees that murderers have to be included with those who do wrong. 
and repeated murderers, pedophiles, yes, because pedophiles do it over and over again and destroy lives. Could it be those who won't support Black Lives Matter protests or continue to refuse to accept climate change? Are they included in wrongdoers? Well, listen to the list that the Apostle Paul gives. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheats. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. This list is so broad, sexual sin, greedy, abusive, and yet why would we think that people who practice these things could inherit the kingdom of God? It's probably because we think these acts aren't too bad and don't be deceived. Or maybe, sure, these acts are bad, but every person is both a mix of good and bad. People do good as well as wrong. So on balance, people aren't black, but the good and the bad, the black and the white mix together to become grey. And how can grey people be excluded from the kingdom of God? Look at the good things that they do. Don't be deceived, says Paul. But there is another and perhaps even worse deception than being deceived into thinking judgment doesn't come. And it's because, because I don't do too badly in this list of things, or at least some of them, I am ever so prone to look down on others who engage in them, to see that their fate is sealed by their repeated actions. And they're actually going to get what they deserve from the righteous judge. And so in my self-righteousness, I go no further in my thinking and in my reflection. But when I do that, when I stop there, when I go no further, it's the absolute opposite of what the apostle intends in this paragraph. Sure, he wants people not to be deceived about the absoluteness of judgment. And he desires that everyone understands the ground that they're standing on, that judgment is coming, judgment is forever, and eternity is longer than you can possibly imagine. And but, so we must not play fast and loose and lightly with people's position with respect to God. Despite the possibility of being silenced and cancelled by our society, we must state that truth of the coming reality of the judgment of God. But the truth does not end there. And this is where I want us to move to. Verse 11, the one that's worth memorising. Some of you were once like that, but you have been cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Some of you were like that. Some of you were known to be that. Some of you repeatedly practiced that. But, but, but changes everything. But is a beautiful and often used three-letter word. 
It can be used to connect ideas. I was going to jog to the shop, but I decided to sprint instead. Or it can be used to show two completely different results. I was going to jog to the shops, but I broke my foot and so couldn't. And here Paul uses it to show how totally different reality is than you can imagine. To more totally dif different than anything else possibly could be with a completely different outcome. You were like this. You will not inherit the kingdom of God, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God. It makes you want to say, therefore the redeemed shall return and come with singing into Zion. Completely different to expectations, completely different to what you deserve. Not a gradual improvement by the lifting yourself up by your bootstraps, but in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, by God's kind, gracious, merciful decisions and acts, the but has occurred. And if you are a Christian, you have tasted that having no inheritance in the kingdom of God to being cleansed, all filth, gone, made right with God, so that when God meets us face to face, it is not the angry outstretched arm to palm us off, but the arms that are outstretched to embrace us. And when we see him, he says, Gee, it's good to have you home. The anxiety and the world-defining fears of COVID, of our deadlines, of our pressures, do not hold a candle to that joy, do they? And so I ask myself, why doesn't this thrill me with excitement? with the joy of the redeemed, me being one of the redeemed, you being one of the redeemed returning. Sometimes I justify myself by saying, oh, I'm not that emotional. But see me after my team wins the grand final. I am emotional and that just happens for a moment. I think I don't rejoice because I consider myself pretty good. I don't do too many of those things on the list of wrongdoings that would condemn me or hit me between the eyes. Others tend to think warmly of me. So I believe their perceptions, even though I know myself better than that. And so being cleansed, being holy, being right with God doesn't seem like it's a big contribution to me but how wrong I am. As the Lord was at the table eating with the Pharisees who thought highly of their own morality and the sinful woman came in and washed Jesus's smelly, dirty feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. She heard the words of our Saviour, your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus turned and he warned the moral he who is forgiven loves little. We have been forgiven much. We've got to remember that. We were without hope and without God in the world. And my natural disposition then 
is to look at what I must reject to protect our church and ourselves from error. That is a right thing to do, but it's also a right thing to rejoice in what God has graciously given us and to make that habit of thankfulness one that we have every day. And so recently, personally, I've tried to rejoice in the little things, the little good things that happen that are gifts from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow or turning and who promises us that as these little blessings are just a bud that will one day bloom more colourfully and fragrantly than we possibly think possible, then it does help me to rejoice. Remember, brothers and sisters, remember how much we have been forgiven. Remember the promises that we have been cleansed. Remember that the kingdom, unearned by us, is our inheritance. And ask the Lord to enable us to rejoice in this. For this is the everlasting thing that we should rightly rejoice in. Heavenly Father, thank you that we were all once under your judgment. But, but you have acted to cleanse, to justify, to make right, to give the inheritance in the kingdom of God to us. Please enable us to see well what we once were, to see what you have done for us in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ and make us men and women who with every breath are marked by joy for the redeemed of the Lord are returning to you, you who welcome us. Amen.